All right. Wanted to thank Hakeem Valles for joining us on the Wild Chess Sports Podcast today. Hakeem, how are you doing today? Good, Andrew. What's going on, bro? Not too much. Um, first, before we wanted to, uh, before we get started, I wanted to say um, shout out Hakeem's company, Perspective Global Media, where he helps people um, grow their own podcast brand. Um, so if you need any help with that, definitely go check it out. Um, I don't know if you wanted to speak on that at all. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, we uh, appreciate the plug at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> of course. Yeah, we're Perspective Global. We, we, uh, we have a turnkey podcast service where we hold people's hand on launching their show. And then people who have established podcasts, we help them create micro content on the back end. So they have mini clips from one to four minutes to post, like a clip from this show, for example, to post on their Instagram, their LinkedIn and uh, all the different profiles. So if you have awesome. any help, go to perspectiveglobalmedia.com. Awesome. All right. So I wanted to ask you, um, growing up in New Jersey, um, how you got into football? Why was that the sport you picked? Um, and, like, did you play any other sports growing up? Yeah, football Football was uh, never my main sport. Uh, it was just another sport on the list of sports I did, from basketball, baseball, karate, ice hockey, uh, we did it all. And I see a little hockey, I see hockey stick in the background. Yeah. Um, football, I probably didn't start until I was in third grade. And then my junior year of high school, I was actually going to quit so I could focus on basketball because I wanted to go to Duke University and play basketball at Duke and like go to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so that's awesome. So you, um, you know, as you moved up the ranks in high school, um, you were a standout wide receiver. Um, and then in college, um, you ended up playing tight end. Um, so how was that process kind of – did you get recruited as a wide receiver or was that kind of a transition once you got to college? So interestingly enough, I was recruited as a receiver, went in as a receiver. The only school that recruited me as a tight end was the University of Delaware. Um, Monmouth University, uh, I played for them for three years as a receiver but rode the bench. So I had zero catches zero yards, zero touchdowns, freshman, sophomore, junior year. Senior year came around, uh, it was day nine of camp, and I essentially moved. I, I, I just I, I wanted to get a fifth year, because mm-hmm. in order to get a fifth year, you got to actually be producing on the field. Um, they're not just going to pay for a fifth year. So I moved from, because I wanted to get a master's degree, honestly, free. Like that was the reason yep. behind moving from receiver to tight end. Like, And then... Moved to moved to tight end, put on like 40 pounds in that first month. Game one, I got my first catch. Game two, I got my first touchdown, and then started every game after that. I think I granted a uh, fifth year, did my thing. That's awesome. Um, you know, hard work pays off. Um, I wanted to ask too. Um, obviously, you played at Monmouth University. How was that playing so close to home? Did you take a lot of pride in that? Yeah, it was dope. I mean, my, uh, it was cool. My, Jersey is kind of split. Mm-hmm. I mean. North Jersey, South Jersey, Jersey Shore. Some people think there's a Central Jersey. There's a whole, whole type of thing there. But you know, I, I grew up about an hour, forty minutes or so from school, so I got to go back and forth to home, which was nice. Um, it was it was cool because uh, not many people. It sounds crazy, but not many people in Jersey get to see all of Jersey. Like a lot of people kind of stay to like like I said, it's very. I wouldn't say. It's, separated but it is separated in the sense of you're in north jersey you ain't got no business in south jersey and you're in south jersey you don't have any business in north jersey i had the pleasure of going to boarding school for high school and i went to boarding school in 
Central Jersey-ish, kind of around Princeton. And then I went to college at Monmouth. So I kind of knew, like, I went, I, I knew Jersey through and through. I dated a girl from North Jersey. So it was like, it was cool getting to see the entire state. Yeah. Uh, for what it was when your average New Jerseyan hasn't. That's awesome. Um, so when you were playing at Monmouth, kind of going um, your senior year and kind of after that season, um, you were ranked as the, the 30th uh, best tight end prospect. Um, how like did the NF, how did that process kind of work with like, um, like the combine and recruitment and stuff like that? Yeah, 30th, I, didn't, I had no idea I was the 30th prospect. <laughs> Uh, the process was smooth. It helped. I had a little brother who was in the NFL at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the process was, you know, my final year, you know, a different team would probably come to practice almost every day. Um, sat down with a couple of teams and talked to, you know, their, their recruiters. And then as the season ended, I got an agent, um, John Perez, one of the most down to earth guys I know. And then, after that, that process was a whole bunch of teams coming to my school, wanting to go out to dinner, you know, take different tests, like the Wonderlick tests and different IQ tests and of that sort. Um, and then as the phases kind of transitioned, then schools were coming in to work me out at Monmouth, mm-hmm. which like right on the field, but not schools, teams um, were coming to work me out at Monmouth, going to dinner with their coaches or scouts mm-hmm. um, of that sort. Um, and then it was the week of the draft is when I actually worked out and went out to lunch with the uh, assistant GM of the Cardinals and kind of knew that if I didn't get picked up by anywhere else, I was definitely going to go to Arizona. Right. So I was going to ask you about that. Um, just kind of that draft day process. Um, were you really nervous heading into the later rounds? Were you expecting anything or were you just kind of waiting it out? Uh, you know, naturally, you're obviously nervous. It's, it's the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, leading up to it, I think day one or day two, I know I wasn't going to go day one or day two. So my best friend who actually played in the NFL for a little bit as well, he, he, he took me to Six Flags so we could kind of just relax and like get my mind off of just being lasered in on the TV all day. Um, and then day three came around. It was like, you know, it was, it was interesting. It was exciting. It was, you know, teams that made promises to you, you could mm-hmm. tell that they were BSing. Uh, yeah. Perfect example, uh, Tampa Bay, completely different coaching staff now. But they were, they told me at least a week or two before the draft that they were getting rid of the fullback from their offense and they want to add another tight end and they love what I can do and I'll either get drafted or go undrafted there. And then like, I don't know, fourth or fifth round, they wind up drafting the fullback. And I was just like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, it was nerve wracking, but it was cool having the family around. And then seventh round came around, Cardinals called and let me know that they were going to go defense on that pick, but they, they wanted me. So we kind of stayed on the phone until the draft ended. And then my agent called and the Redskins were about to draft me in the seventh round or the team from Washington yeah. <laughs> about to draft me in the, in the seventh round. And, uh, I actually didn't want them to because they had just signed Jordan Reed on like a fat, fat contract. I was like, I know I'm just going to be a camp body. Um, and actually, I'm not going to have a chance that we have, we're the same type of style of tight end. I'm not going to have a chance to actually compete for a spot. So as wild as it sounded, I was hoping that the Redskins didn't sign me so I could, you know, prove my, prove my, myself in uh, Arizona. So do you um, like during that process, do you tell your agent like, do the Redskins call your agent and ask if you're interested 
um, so they don't kind of like waste the pick if you don't want to sign or how does that kind of work? No, that kind of happens on the when you're the team drafts who you go you right know, at the end of the yeah. day because the Cardinals could have been BSing. Um, no, it's more of your undrafted, the undrafted situation you might you have more of a say on where you kind of sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're drafted at the end of the day, you're drafted, right? Yeah, no, because I know in the MLB the process is like totally different where these guys are basically just fighting over money. Um, so with the Cardinals, did um, how was that? Like, was it right after the draft? They were just kind of like waiting on you, um, or they? So it's a strategy. Teams will jam the lines for you if they really want you. They'll have someone on the phone with you from the end of the seventh round until the draft officially closes. So gotcha. they can sign you as soon as the draft ends. Because as soon as the draft ends, it's a it's a it's a frenzy. As soon as I got off the phone with the Cardinals, the Seahawks called. Okay. Um, and then the Ravens called. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like I'm, I'm already signed to the Cardinals at this point, so right. they try and jam, they try and jam your phone lines if they really want you, like during the seventh round, mm-hmm. and just stay on the phone with you until the draft ends. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so I wanted to ask, coming into training camp there with the Cardinals, how was like the culture of the team? Obviously, they had um two veteran leaders, Larry Fitzgerald, Carson Palmer, um, Bruce Arians. Just um talk about that team a little bit. Uh, it was dope playing on the Cardinals, you know, as a, as a rookie experience, you got to be in the room with a whole bunch of OGs, you know, mm-hmm. you got Larry Fitzgerald, you got Carson Palmer, you got BA for Saints, you got Tyron Matthew, you got Pat Peterson. Um, it was awesome because you got to learn how real professionals uh, prepare for their art, their craft, their sport. Um, you know, you see a guy like Larry Fitzgerald, people are impressed by the wild catches he makes and think it's just natural talent, which it is, but it also is a massive level of hard work. You know, those diving catches he's making on Sundays, he's also making them on Fridays and getting the wind knocked out of him and have to sit out part of practice because he's he actually just got hurt making a yep. crazy catch. Um, watching how Pat Peterson's out there, you know, an hour or so before practice every day and truly getting to learn how real professionals prepare for the craft. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I know that that team was impressive. Um, you know, we had Carson Palmer on the the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about the same thing. Just how you That's guys together. Um, yeah, no. So I also wanted to ask you. Um, you know, in the preseason, you caught your um, first catch. Was it Matt Barkley? Um, I think Matt Barkley threw me my first catch. Yeah. Um, so just kind of talk about that I don't know if you were like really competing for a job at that point or kind of what that meant for you yeah um like you mean what did the uh yeah so just you know kind of like when you caught the ball what was going through your head um like yeah I was I I was freaking out um my you know it was it's preseason game four it's the only time like First three weeks, you know, I think we played, who did we play? I think we played Oakland, we played, we did joint practices in San Diego, mm-hmm. um, played somebody else. But long story short, you don't get to play at all right. during preseason until game four when you're an undrafted dude. Um, and it was wild because pretty much played damn near every snap and wanted to prove myself because, you know, I'm a, I'm a receiving tight end and getting that opportunity to one catch it and two get some serious yak, you know, mm-hmm. hurdle somebody. Should have made a move at the end of that catch because I could have probably scored, but it was cool. And then it was, I had an itch 
the rest of the game, like I wanted the ball and I wanted to literally ram the ball down someone's throat and like score. Like I was, I wanted it at that point, but we were beating the Broncos a pretty solid amount. And I'm not sure if you know, Elijah Penny, uh, fullback for the Giants. He, uh, we, he put on a show against them. We just went 12 personnel, like Mm -hmm. the entire third and fourth quarter and ran the ball almost every play. He averaged like five yards a carry, five to 10 yards a carry. And we literally, ran the ball down their throats the rest of the game. And it's like, I wanted the ball really bad, but it was just like, it was cool to get a right. win. But it was, it, was all, it was more cool to really solidify myself because, you know, I, I didn't get signed to the 53 right after that. I got signed to the practice squad, but it, it set the framework for me to ultimately get bumped up. Mm-hmm. So how is that process playing on a practice squad? Um, what's kind of like your mindset coming into practice every week? And how, um, how are you like trying to prove yourself to the coaches? I mean, for me, it was it wasn't say it was easy to prove yourself. Practice squad is hard as hell. Like it is hard, hard. It is you're going against the greatest players on earth. Yeah. One, two, you have to figure out the pace. If you go too, 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 too hard, then you're an asshole. They hate you, mm-hmm. and coaches are pissed off because you're risking getting someone hurt. Right. If you go too, too soft, you're an asshole. Everyone hates you. Coaches, players are like, yo, you got to get me better, blah, 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 blah. So you honestly have to find that happy medium. Um, There was a whole bunch of opportunities for me to prove myself because every day I'm going against guys like, you know, Tyron Matthew. He was a safety, you know, Dayon Buchanan, Buchanan, uh, DJ Swearinger, Mm -hmm. um, Tyvon Branch. We had straight legends in Arizona, (laughs) but the opportunity to – really prove myself because it was every day it was look at this card go run that play and mm-hmm. like that was awesome I used to get my ass kicked though when it came to blocking because like that I'm you know blocking dudes like Chandler Jones like Robert Kandichi like Corey Peters like just big strong dudes who, yeah. are, who are I'm a, you know I'm a former receiver at the end of the day <laughs> but it was uh you know, you approach every week with a level of you know you're a part of the team as well it's not like JV varsity it's we're we're all the same team at the end of the day, but right. it was it was a it was a massive level of trying to find your balance, but then also trying to really give these guys the work that they need so they can prepare for this upcoming week. Because if we lose and you weren't showing a good look in practice, you're putting yourself at risk to get cut. Right. Um. So that season, um, you were on the practice squad uh, most of the year, correct? I think you played one game, the Cardinals. No, I played a bunch actually. I. Oh. Uh, I think it was week week six or something. Mm-hmm. I think I, I want to say it was week six. Uh, Darren Fells got a stinger in his shoulder, so he was going to be inactive for like two weeks, mm-hmm. and they needed a game day tight end. So they actually signed me the day of the game, um, Thursday night football against the Niners. Mm-hmm. And man, I had a drop that game. Had an offensive pass interference that mm-hmm. game. Back to back plays. It's pretty rough, but. I graded out high enough to, uh, what's the word, to uh, not get cut mm-hmm. and, like, go back to practice squad. Right. Um, so they just – they kept me on the active roster because I, I think I was the highest-graded tight end on the team, and the Cardinals didn't want to risk losing me by bringing me back to practice squad. Right. So I think, like, the next week or maybe two weeks, I was inactive mm-hmm. um, when Bells came back, and then Ifani Moma got hurt. When he got hurt, I was on the 53 the rest of the season. Gotcha. Um, so it was the end of 2017. Um, you ended up signing with the Lions, correct? Um, 
Yes, it was midway through 2017. Uh, end of 17 is when I signed active to the Lions, but I got cut at the end of the 17 camp from the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. And my first week, I got signed to the Lions practice squad. Right. And um, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I got cut from the practice squad. And, you know, I think two or three weeks in, Ifani Momo actually got hurt again on the Cardinals and the Cardinals tried to sign me back to the 53 wow. from Detroit. And actually I just bought a property like three days prior. I wanted to stay mm-hmm. and my agent was able to negotiate a 53 man roster salary while staying on the practice squad in Detroit. So I didn't have to go back to Arizona, which is solid. And then very last game of the year, I got bumped up to 53. That's awesome. Um, so I wanted to kind of ask about um, just the, the, the differences between uh, the Lions and the Cardinals. Um, I know you, I think you said that Jim Caldwell was your favorite coach of all time. Um, just kind of talk about him as a leader and uh, that Lions team. I mean, obviously they, they haven't been successful over the last decade or two. So what's kind of like the, the feeling in that locker room? Um, you know, Jim Caldwell, just like you said, gentleman's gentleman. That was definitely my favorite coach I've had uh Probably besides my tight end coach in college, that was one of my favorite head coaches I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, just ultimate leader, commanded the attention of everyone on the team in the organization. People right. look forward to his team meetings every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, NFL is a hard, hard game, hard sport. Lions have had the the shit end of the stick for the past couple of year, past couple of decades. Um, <laughs> Culture is there. I mean, we got a solid team, solid players. You could ask anybody on the team in the locker room. It's like, you know, going out every game. It's like, mm-hmm. we're going to win. We're going to win a Super Bowl. Like, it was the right energy. But, you know, things happen. You know, odds are stacked in certain situations. A lot of the time, we wind up screwing the pooch. Um, as an organizational structure, you know, I've openly had remarks against Martha Ford um, as an organization, just as like a leader. Um, I don't know if she just transferred ownership of the team to I think one of her daughters or someone in her family. Um, but the culture from the top, you know, culture ultimately, ultimately starts from the top. Um, in my personal opinion, wasn't there just in the sense that, you know, as a player, regardless if I was a first round pick or undrafted, um, or practice squad or whoever, I, I personally take the mentality of, you know, treat the CEO like the, you treat the, 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 the custodian. Mm-hmm. And Martha Ford, perfect example, I had met her over 10 times um, and been in her presence over 10 times, but every time it was, she reintroduced herself. And like, that hurts. Doesn't matter who you are as a player, doesn't matter who, how old you are as a leader. If that's the case, I don't think you should be leading in my personal opinion. Um, but that, I think is a microcosm of the culture of the entire organization is if you can't simply just know by face, just from after 12 meetings with someone, um, it might show your level of care and your level of importance that you're placing on this facet of your organization. Right. Um, So obviously with, with that culture too, um, Caldwell was fired after this season um, and they brought in Matt Patricia. Um, So kind of talk about that change, the difference between the two. and why, why you think they did that? Uh, the NFL and like, just like any other business is uh, who you know type of industry. Mm-hmm. And our GM was Bob Quinn, who was Matt Patricia's, uh, he was a scout in New England when Patricia was DC of the Patriots. 
Um, and I think that was kind of always his pick for who was going to be head coach when he got full control of the team. Um, needed, obviously, a scapegoat type of season to fire Caldwell, mm-hmm. which I don't think it necessarily was. Um, but obviously no playoffs. And the rhetoric behind we need to go to the playoffs uh, type of rhetoric was an easy scapegoat to get Caldwell out of there. You know, you look at other coaches and even the history of the Lions, other coaches combined records. You know, Patricia's in the same boat as Caldwell was in technically in terms of right. record length of time there. Um, so like I said, it's a goody goody who I know type of industry. You're mm-hmm. gonna you're gonna subconsciously wish more success on your friends versus not your friends or someone yeah. who's already, you know, your your homie from that you that you that you came up along right. the ranks with. Um, which is understandable at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, with Caldwell given a fair chance, probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, do I understand? Yeah. Culture definitely changed though. You know, Jim Caldwell's gentleman's gentleman, Matt yeah. Patricia, Matt Patricia um, in what, some ways, shapes and forms, you know, leads through a culture of fear um, and doesn't resonate with all guys. Some guys that hundred percent resonates with and, it's going to take time for them to pick apart the roster to find those guys that that resonates with. But the NFL is such a fluid roster type of situation. It's hard to, a team is not a, there's no, just there's team, but there's no team team in the NFL like there is in college because the NFL is built off of a culture of cutting people at scale. Like you realize that you realize that someone got cut on a team after you see somebody new in the facility, like you see a new dude, you're like, Oh shit. Like who just got cut? Yeah. This dude's here. And like, that's how fat, but it's every day. Just every day. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. And um, I wanted to ask you too, if you think like, I know um, I'm a Patriots fan. Um, okay. but I, I uh, like, I know Patriots offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, um, you know, he left to go coach the Broncos and then he came back. Um, same thing with Patricia. Um, you know, he, he goes to the Lions, doesn't really have much success. Do you think there's something to be said about that um, with those guys kind of having that happen, you know, under Belichick? Or Yeah, I think Belichick, winners win at the end of the day. Belichick's yeah. the winner. Um, I think we're going to get a true testament to that with Tom and Belichick both being separated this year. Right. Off of Tom's success and off of Belichick's success. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the ultimate uh, – the ultimate um, – assessment for us to all see like okay where is this where is this culture being breeded from um and yeah i mean you see it in patricia's coach coaching style um trying to essentially you know copy belichick style just from guys who are in the locker room who used to be in new england as well and it's inauthentic you can just tell it's the enforced in that sense at least in my own personal opinion um and I think guys can read that at the end of the day, we're mammals, we're animals. We, right. can, we can read everything more right. than we realize. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, it's crazy. Just, you know, every, every like day after the season end, it's like a carousel. The coaches just get fired. They bring in new guys. Um, so yeah, it's like you said, it's never ending. Um, and kind of on that note, um, you signed with the, the Giants practice squad Um and I wanted to ask you, it was the, the day before Eli Manning's consecutive game streak was over. Um, I know you were only there for a day, um, but was there, like, what did you kind of get the sense with the Giants during that time? In what sense? Um, just kind of like, you know, I mean, Manning being the starter for 12 
13 years and then he gets benched. Um, just kind of what, what that was like, especially as a newcomer. Oh, because you're saying for one day and he got yeah. benched right, right when I got there. Huh? Yep. Um, I mean, Eli, at the end of the day, I grew up a diehard Eagles fan. Mm-hmm. So Eagle, Eli's an, he's still a legend at the yep. end of the day. Um, at some point, you know, you hate to see, you know, at some point storybooks got to end. I think Tom left at a great time because his storybook was on the way to closing. It is Tom versus time at the end of the day. He's it is. a legend. Who knows when he actually, you know, falls off. Yep. Uh, culture-wise, I think I was pretty checked out mentally by the time I got to New York. I knew I was going to retire. Um, I'd say it was chill. Like nobody was like, "Oh my gosh, Eli's benched. What's yeah. going on?" Like uh, Daniel Jones, you know, the whole team was pretty much wild, rather wild, rallied behind him mm-hmm. in that sense. And then when I believe it was when the playoff hopes were gone for the Giants, when they gave Daniel Jones. The start and what it looked like the end of an era for Eli Manning. And I think, you know, Eli, as a leader, I mean, he took it as humble as I've ever seen. Uh, 12 years started to lose his spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, still showed up to practice every day. Still was at practice after practice every day. Still was at practice before practice every day, right. putting the work in. Um, and still just a, even a vocal leader in meetings mm-hmm. and uh, stuff like that. So it was... He took it with honor, to say the least. Right. Um, and you, you mentioned retiring there. Uh, I know you're not currently signed to a team, but are you trying to get back into the NFL? Or are you looking for opportunities to play again? Yeah, making a comeback. Um, awesome. Took this past year off, got some mental clarity. Um, it's going to be interesting, to say mm-hmm. the least, with this COVID setup and the, you know, the dynamic of the season alone. But, yeah, making a comeback this upcoming season. And I also want to ask, I know you really just briefly touched on that there, but what do you think the NFL is going to look like um, like this year? I know from there's such a difference between a fan's perspective and a player's perspective. Um, what do you think that some of the differences that like fans might not be seeing, like what do you think uh, some of that stuff will be like that players have to deal with? Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just going to be interesting. I don't know how they're going to contain the virus with – players still seeing their families mm-hmm. without having the bubble atmosphere like the NBA. Yep. In my opinion, there's, there's legitimately no way to contain the virus. I, I agree. And I know a lot of the owners are trying to even get fans in the stadium too. I don't, I just don't, I don't see how that's a feasible plan. Yeah, it's uh, interesting watching the world burn and nobody do anything about it, especially in the NFL. <laughs> I know. I feel. I feel like they kind of um, sat back back on it and was like, "The other leagues will figure it out because we have time." And now that this yeah. is right around the corner, they don't really have a plan. NFL had the longest time without anything being legitimately impeded, impeded, and probably screwed the pooch the biggest out of everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, they shouldn't have just negotiated this uh, the new terms of the CDA yesterday like that. Should have been done. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I know um, – I think it was one of the Chiefs' offensive uh, guards. He just opted out of the season. Um, do you think we'll see a lot of players end up doing that? 
Um, I think so. His is a little different because he is a doctor, I believe, in Canada. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's following his own passions and his own uh, calling to continue that fight against COVID. I do think we will see, but at the end of the day, people want that check. And we'll see. I, I don't... Going to be an interesting season, interesting year. It could end. It could end as fast as it started. Um, yep. I don't know what's going to happen. To be honest, I don't. Yeah, that's the thing with the the whole virus is that there's no answers to anything. Um, but kind of speaking on passion, I wanted to kind of wrap this up here, um, asking you about uh, kind of like your business ventures and entrepreneurial stuff, um, and how you got into that, and um, kind of just what that means to you. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur at the core. I've been an entrepreneur since I was a kid. You know, I was in fifth grade. I had a landscaping business when I was in middle school. I used to hustle Skittles. You know, <laughs> from high school to college, I had an iPhone repair business. Uh, my degree was business with a concentration in real estate. And while I was in college, lived about 10 houses in North Jersey with my ex-girlfriend's dad, which was just an awesome hand-in-hand experience. Mm-hmm. And then when I made it to the league, I continued my entrepreneurial ventures, you know, bought properties in every market that I played in. Um, bought apartment building in Phoenix, duplex in Detroit, got into the cannabis industry in Michigan on the real estate side. Um, and then when I retired, doubled down on speaking and launched this media company, um, which is, you know, very exciting on a daily basis. Right. Do you think it's important for, um, some of these professional athletes to have kind of like a side venture, um, kind of like a separate passion? So, you know, as you said, it kind of clears your mind on, um, you know, if you're, if the NFL is your real career um, and what you're focusing on, it kind of clears your mind and keeps you focused. Definitely. It's hard to, you know, because you have to be in the right headspace to even explore a secondary right. passion. Because if not, you're just so deep in the weeds of what you're doing football wise and just in kind of a mental rut in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find something else you're passionate about, but I think it is important to find it and, you know, lose yourself in it um, because it's going to help make your transition easier when you have a passion, like when I walked away from football, I could give three shits about football because I was, I could still, like, if I don't make it back to the NFL, I could care less. Right. Because I've got stuff going on that I'm more than busy every single day. Um, I'll probably be ultimately more or less stressed out if I don't go back because I'll have less things going on in my life. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when you're in that type of position, um, it makes your transition a lot easier than most. Definitely. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's very important. Um, and as you said, it's just something to fall back on um, something that, you know, someone's passionate about. Um, yeah. So th- again, I wanted to thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the podcast today. Um, wish you well, best of luck um, with the NFL this season. Um, yeah. Any, any closing thoughts? One, I appreciate you having me on the show and uh not really in the closing thoughts. Excited uh, to see what kind of happens this uh, this year. Hopefully, I can make it back on the roster. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Um, follow Hakeem's um, company, Perspective Global Media. Um, help you out with podcast stuff. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. Thanks again, Andrew. Appreciate it. No you, problem. Bro. Talk to you later.